Hey, welcome to the very first episode of Books and Brooms, the official HMS Harmony podcast. Uh, I'm your host, the Above Average Joe, and today I am joined by some friends of mine from the HMS Harmony Discord, uh, some very, very passionate fans of the pairing of Harry and Hermione, so I'll just go ahead and let them introduce themselves. Hi everyone, my name is Mika. Um, I've been shipping Harry and Hermione together since I read the first book. I've been involved in the fandom for the past three years because I actively write under the pseudonym of untold harmony hi i'm lauren i'm the resident snarky brett um i've been shipping harry and hermione since again i read the first book which would have been uh, over 20 years ago now and i've been reading fan fiction since i was 12 which is over 15 years so i've I'm fandom old. So for this first episode, I really just wanted to focus on an overview of the Harry and Hermione relationship. Why we think they're perfect for one another, some moments from the book, some moments from the film, kind of why they're important to us as a fandom. Okay, who wants to go first? Miki, you go first. Okay, well, so um, like I said, I've been shipping her and Hermione since the first book. And I think the main reason why I'm such a big fan is because I actually grew up with the book. Um, like I'm 27 now and I think I've been reading them since I was seven so it's just like their relationship just started from such an organic place like they were best friends or rather they were strangers first not even friends but then you know this one big major thing happened that kind of forced them to be together and then ever since then they've just been like next to each other and just the best of friends so it's just their relationship just came from such an organic place that it was very easy to kind of fall in love with that ship. And like I said, I grew up with it. So I kind of, you know, saw and like even, oh God, sorry guys, I'm just like blanking here. Lauren, do you mind? Yeah, I was just gonna say, I'm very much the same as you because I'm of a similar age. And um, yeah, it's just that thing of, I also grew up with it. You know, they balance each other out. That's the other thing. Cause Hermione, at least to start with, is so very much sort of books in cleverness intelligence you know um must obey rules and teachers and all that kind of stuff and then you know we look and you know a couple of months into their friendship and she's setting teachers on fire she's doing the lord only knows what else um and again harry to start with is very much leap before you look whereas hermione sort of balances him out in terms of you know calming him down and say think for a second, how can this possibly go wrong? Um, also, um, I also like the the balance that they bring each other, I think. And also having similar backgrounds, they understand each other a lot better than other people do, shall we say. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that there might be also a lot of empathy there, um, even from the first book, because like, as we know, Harry and Dudley's relationship isn't really the greatest like he was teased he was bullied all the time and then Hermione was kind of feeling the same at least with Ron because she's not really part of that in crowd yet and you know he made her cry so I agree in that Harry and Hermione are kind of like they, they 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 were able to empathize with each other and they were able to relate with each other in more ways than one. Yeah, I was gonna say neither of them according neither of them in the canon had um very many friends or if any growing up, at least as far as we know. So they're very much simpatico, I think. Whereas Ron certainly grew up with sort of all his family around him and was trying to find his space so he could sort of shine, whereas he sort of gets overshadowed by Harry and Hermione, which is 
doesn't help. See, for me, it was there, there were multiple reasons why I shipped them. One of which was just like the, the organic nature that we keep talking about, how easy it was for them to bond and how they just kind of naturally evolved throughout even the course of the for first book and then let alone into the preceding novels. Um, there's also a bit for me kind of a personal angle in that I very much related to Harry and had that been me I would have been very much attracted to Hermione <laughs> so that's kind of what pulled me in when I was a kid when I was first reading them but yeah overall they just they have an ability to connect with with one another and understand one another on levels that Ron and some of the other characters involved just don't get. They're, they have, there's a there's an intimacy between Harry and Hermione that is virtually unparalleled throughout the rest of the books. So let's start talking about some of those moments. What were what were the key moments for you guys reading the the novels that just sold you on Harry and Hermione as a couple? Well, I think starting with the first book. Um even before the troll, but when Harry realized that it was Hermione, or rather Hermione didn't know about the troll, when everyone kind of just forgot about her, like that was that was one thing that, you know, made me realize that, oh, perhaps Harry, you know, like Harry already thinks of Hermione as his friend, even though she and Ron might not be that compatible with each other yet. And then obviously following that, the friendship and bravery quote, I think that that might have been um, Harry's first ever hug when Hermione hugged him before he went off further into the rooms. So yeah, it's just, there, there's quite a lot of those wonderful moments um, starting from the very first book. Plus there's the whole Buckbeak thing, there's the time travel adventure, there's, you know, her being the only person believed, who believes him in Goblet of Fire, there's the way he reacted to her at the Yule Ball, there's, I mean, I'm sure we could go on for hours about this. There's just so many moments. And also, actually, if you think about it, the fact that Hermione, who at this point, to be fair, were still fairly rules-based, mm -hmm. was prepared to, you know, knock over a teacher and also set fire to another one to save Harry when they've only been friends, what, a couple of months at that point, I think? Mm -hmm. um, I think speaks quite a lot to their relationship. Um, and that's before you factor in things like, excuse me, um, the ministry or um, Harry comforting her after the Ron and Lavender thing or, I mean, I could just go on. I really could. So uh, there's a couple here I, I want to really focus on. So Lauren, you brought up the uh, the Buckbeak thing. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So obviously Buckbeak being introduced in Prisoner of Azkaban and just the symbolism of, of hippogriffs themselves was fairly obvious even if jk rowling didn't necessarily you know know do you have research <laughs> yeah i was trying to find a more pc way to do it but sure let's go with that <laughs> so let's let's talk about that so hip, what what hippogriffs actually represent love and, and specifically romantic love so the idea that one harry is able to connect with that with his own history of never really having been loved up until that point in his life and then two, that the only people we ever see writing, or the only two people we see writing Buckbeak at the same time are Harry and Hermione. That feels like an obvious blow there. It mm -hmm. just kind of gets written off. Sorry, I may have some feelings about that. You can't imagine why. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and also there's the fact that, you know, yes, there's Buckbeak, but there's also why they're um, on Buckbeak in the first place. Um, so for example, one, Hermione's probably at least partially doing it because it's the right thing to do because Sirius has never been convicted that we know of or is that Fanon? I forget. 
Um, but, you know, um, Sirius is actually innocent of the crime and it's just the right thing to do, but also she's doing it for Harry because I'm guessing being the child of dentists, she would have been aware of things like duty, duty of care and some of the abuse training that her parents would have had. And something must have been ringing bells with Hermione in order for her to say something's not right here if Harry's prepared to just go off with this, you know, guy who's been in prison for the last 13 years rather than go back to his supposedly loving relatives. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of hits on something that really separates Hermione from the rest of the bunch. Is she is kind of the moral center of the group in a lot of ways. Harry is doing what needs to be done. Ron is there, but Hermione really tends to be the moral, the moral bastion for all, for all the events throughout the books. Mm -hmm. To be fair, I think at least part of the time Ron is there for you know comedic effect or you know tension breaker or to be fu funny. I think that may personally. be the intention. Sure, <laughs> I'll give you that. I think that I think that was the original intention. Yeah, and, and throughout the earlier novels, I would agree that's probably what he was there for in a lot of ways, and that and it worked well. But we'll get into the the Ron issue here in a little bit. So obviously, we've got Buckbeak being a big thing for me. I also, I, this personally, this was just me and the way I always interpreted that scene in, is that Harry would not have been able to cast the Patronus if Hermione hadn't been there. I really feel like her being there was a big factor in him being able to do at that point unprecedented levels of magic. Mm -hmm. And wasn't it because that she reminded him that, or rather not reminded him, but she told him that, you know, no one else is coming in here, Harry. Like, it's it's just you. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like what triggered him to realize that, yeah, what I saw was actually me. Like, this wasn't my dad or somebody else. Like, I, like it, it was me. Like, that Patronus that I saw came from me. Yeah, it, it was the first time Harry really um, got, had the, the the little light bulb moment of no one's going to save me but me, mm. which is something that he really needs. He focuses on a lot in the later books. Mm. Um, but also, I think there's a certain amount of it being um, he also, he's also aware that he needs to protect Hermione. I think possibly. Yeah, that's. I mean, yes, in protecting himself is nice and all and serious. Um, but also, once that if he doesn't, you know, protect himself and Sirius, then the next person they're going to be coming after is him and Hermione as well. Yeah, and that's, that's where I think Harry that, being Harry has probably occurred to him. Exactly, that's where I think it was going. In that, Harry always tends to think of himself last when it comes to protection. <laughs> so the idea mm. that you know he's able to accomplish this again at, that, at this point, unprecedented level of magic for him in order to protect Sirius, Hermione, and himself was was a big- On two different element. levels. <laughs> Do what? I was saying he's protecting himself on two different levels. Exactly. So let's go into some of the other issues from the books. We, we mentioned Goblet of Fire and Hermione being the only one to, to trust him. And I know there's a moment that rings true for all three of us when it comes to Harry and Hermione and the Goblet of Fire, and what is it? Toast. Toast. <laughs> yes. All right. So, so let's. So like it seems 
so insignificant, but actually it's quite the opposite. And honestly, I don't really see it mentioned a lot whenever I talk to other people about harmony. So it's nice that it's getting the recognition it deserved. But basically the scene is that it's the following morning after Harry's um, name comes out of the fire and he was, he just left the portrait hole and he's gonna go for breakfast. But as soon as the, you know, outside of the Gryffindor common room, he sees Hermione there and she has like a stack of toast with her and instead of going with him to the Great Hall for breakfast, she goes and take him out on a walk um, around the castle grounds and they just talk about what happened. And he was he was about to say like, you know, I didn't do this. And Hermione was like, well, yeah, you don't have to tell me that here because I know that you didn't do it. And it's just so simple because it kind of just shows that Hermione knows what is happening. Like she obviously realizes the castle is not very favorable of Harry at this moment. And if he does go to breakfast, then he'll probably get teased or mocked. So she saves him from that. But at the same time, she's there to like offer her ear and also offer her understanding and trust in Harry too. I think the other thing that we have possibly forgotten to factor in is a lot of the ship, the Harmony Shippers these days are basing it off the films and not the books. That's and of course point. that scene didn't feature in the films. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole thing was just completely left out of the films, presumably because they didn't have time, which is fair enough, directorial decision and whatever. But a lot of people these days are basing their shipping on the films, not the books. Well, certainly that's my impression anyway. Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of populism uh, in the fandom now, especially regarding some of the recent uh, comments from a lot of cast members regarding the Harry and Hermione relationship. So I, I will agree that, that there's kind of that inherent um, mess there. And I, I think they did a, a good job of maybe not replicating that exact moment in the film, but at least tonally making sure that it, 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 it did ring true. So I, I will I will give them that. Mm. Okay, so what are some other moments from the, the later books that really jump out at you guys bonded for life <laughs> okay that goes without saying yeah well i think we could we could probably take like most of the fifth book and just set it on the counter and gesture towards it <laughs> and be like there you um, go. Uh, i think also the way harry comforts hermione after the ron and lavender charlie foxtrot um because he knows that she's going to be upset and he's just trying to sort of calm her down and just, you know, um, yeah, just that whole thing, I think. Um, and also, to be fair, her reaction to seeing him when he walks in the door in Order of, uh, Order of the Phoenix, sorry. And the fact that she gives up seeing her parents to actually come and see him as well, if I remember rightly, over that Christmas break. I believe so. It's been a while. I gotta go back. Gotta go back and read that one. Mm. See, for me, and Mika, you hit it right on the on the on the head there with bonded for life. That was such a deliberate move in the book mm-hmm. that I, for the life of me, I almost can't understand why J.K. put it in there. I'm like, if you're not going to go this direction, exactly. Why is this in here? So let's, exactly. let's, let's it, talk about that. Unless it was a, I was going to say, unless it was a typo, but that seems like a fairly massive typo. 
if, if that's a typo, then some editor should be fired. <laughs> well, to be fair, personally, and I don't know what you guys think, I think J.K. Rowling needed a new uh, needed a new editor from books about four onwards, um, or at least she needed somebody she'd actually listen to. I would agree, and we'll we'll uh, we'll jump to that topic here in just a second because I feel like that's there's going to be some emotions that pop up there. True, but you know, just thought it needed to be said. <laughs> but yeah, like the whole idea that during an actual wedding ceremony that Hermione, at, at the most pivotal moment, cuts her mm-hmm. eyes directly at Harry, tears in her eyes. It, 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 you're just like. That's, that's very deliberate imagery, and it's just kind of there. Now, this is not the first time that JK has done very deliberate Im- imagery and just let it drop, but that seemed, I don't know, like it's just, there's a lot of weight in that moment. Exactly, like it was too intentional, and wasn't Ron like sitting right next to her? So Yeah, Ron's on the other side. Like, <laughs> yeah, so like, it's just weird, it's like she turns to Harry, and away from Ron at that moment right there when they said that they're bonded for life. So why? It's just it's so many questions yeah. why that happened. It's, it, it's, it's definitely one of those head-scratching moments because like, if you wanted to do the inversion of it, Hermione's looking at Ron and Harry's watching Hermione, like that, that would make a certain amount of narrative sense. But to have it completely be Hermione looking at Harry, it just, it kind of makes you go, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> and at least in theory, considering he dated Ginny in, in Half-Blood Prince, I had to make sure I said the right name there. Um, why is he looking at Hermione and not, for example, at, say, somebody else who's also at that wedding? Yeah. It, the whole mm-hmm. thing is just... What massive, is she... Massive chink in the armor, I guess you could say. I think what we're saying is, what the hell was she thinking? Basically, I mean, I've been thinking that for a, a while now, mm-hmm. not even r- related to recent events. But um, so you what, said you said we weren't going there. I I alluded to it. I am not actually going there. It's a difference. It's like walking past Nocturne Alley. You know it's there. <laughs> you read the sign. You don't make the turn. Hmm. Uh, moving swiftly onwards. Okay, so let's let's discuss Ron. He, he, he's the the thing we have to talk about. <laughs> All right, Lauren, you kind of hinted this with uh, J.K. needing a different editor from books four onward. Books one through three, Ron is a fundamentally different character than books four through seven. Mm-hmm. Like, like the only thing he has the same is hair color and name. I mean, to be fair to him. A certain amount of that could well be hormones. A certain amount of that could be issues because, you know, he's got this, he's got seven siblings. He's the youngest boy and he's the boy that was supposed to be a girl. And, you know, he's he's not got anything really to distinguish him besides his friendship with Harry um, from his brothers. Um, so, you know, Bill, is was head boy and is now a curse breaker. Charlie was very good at Quidditch and is now playing with dragons. Um, Percy again was head boy and is now 
um, sycophant in chief at the ministry. Um, Gred and Forge are Gred and Forge. Um, then you've got Ron, who was supposed to be a girl, and then you've got Ginny, who's not only the youngest, but a girl. So it's, you can understand why he's got issues, but also it doesn't really excuse it. And also there's teenage boy hormones factored in there as well. Yeah, like, like the issues make Ron, okay, they, they give him, a, they earn him a certain amount of sympathy and a, a bit of understanding in some of his less than stellar behavior. Again, not excusing it in any way, but coming from his life, you can kind of understand why he would react a certain way. I guess my issue really is when it comes down to JK saying that she wrote Ron and Hermione as a form of wish fulfillment, as a way to, I guess you can say, give Ron something that would make him more than just this forgotten son. Problem is she didn't give him anything beyond that. So he was just forgotten son yeah. and somehow managed to get the girl. It didn't really make sense. And I, I, for me, that really was called out on, it, on its nose in Deathly Hallows, where it's like, look, even Dumbledore knew that your ass was going to bail and we need to, find, <laughs> we need to find a way back at some point. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I dislike Ron. I just think he was used inappropriately and definitely did not fit Hermione in terms of a romantic pairing simply because of just their motivations and their worldview. Ron is very lackadaisical and that's not Hermione. She's got very lofty aspirations and Ron strikes me as the kind of person that has very little ambition. And also um, Ron is very ensconced in the Wizarding World um, whereas, so Hermione would possibly have to give up a lot in terms of her parents and the muggle side of her family in order to be with Ron, whereas Harry, she doesn't because he knows enough to be able to cope in the normal muggle world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they also just bring out the worst of each other. Like yeah. Ron, you know, he always just, he's, he's just so much more derisive towards Hermione. Like he teases her because she's smart, she likes to learn. But on the flip side, we see the worst of Hermione too. Like, you know, with, with the birds in the later books and she she just seems so much more impatient with Ron around. So they just don't, like they just don't bring out the best of each other at all. Yeah, that, that, and also- that's a relationship that is gonna end violently and everyone around is just standing there waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing is, um, we frequently see Ron be, not bullying, but certainly saying some stuff he, I'm surprised Hermione gets him, lets him get away with, but we never actually see him apologize, I don't think. Mm-hmm. They just sort of either forgive each other because Harry tells them to, or if they do talk about it, or if whatever happens with it, it happens off camera. And it just surprises me that the Hermione that we see puts up with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You it, would think that it's something that she wouldn't really tolerate, but yet, you know, you, you don't really see how their conflicts are resolved with, with each other. Or, you know, if she... The other thing that I wonder is if she just puts up, puts up with it because of Harry. Yeah, I, think, I, I don't think they would have been friends if it wasn't for Harry. I, I definitely agree. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. 
there's a certain amount of just sheer tolerance that Hermione brings to the table in regards to, to the trio. Um, yeah, just as, as a romantic relationship, Ron and Hermione, they don't have sticking potential. Like, you can, you, you can only get so far in that, you know, thin line between love and hate realm <laughs> before it yeah, just burns But it has to have out. something to work with. Exactly. And they don't, there's no foundational material there. And it's not even that they're fighting because of principles or whatever, or, you know, it's going to be difficult for them to find a middle ground compromise, I think. Yeah, especially with some of their more pronounced issues and worldviews. Um, so let's talk for a second about the films, because, Lauren, you, you brought it up earlier that uh, a certain amount of the newer Harmony shippers are kind of referencing the films specifically and Dan and Emma's chemistry, which was amazing. So let's let's talk about that. What are some moments that were strictly film-based that kind of reinforced the the idea of Harry and Hermione? The hug at the end of the second film. Classic. <laughs> I was cheering along when I saw that in the movies. <laughs> there, yeah. there may have been some quiet fist pumping from me. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's one that springs uh, the hug in Goblet of Fire, actually. I love that moment. Hermione uh, just seems to, going back to what I think it was Nika Rob was saying, or although it might have been you, Joe, sorry. Um, they seem very, like, they seem to touch each other a lot. So it seems just very easy for Hermione to just grab his hand. Uh, different points. Um, one of the ones I'm thinking of is in uh, when they're at a DA meeting and Hermione just grabs his hand um, in Order of the Phoenix. And it just, bearing in mind Harry's background um, and the fact that he's ver verbally and physically abused, the fact that he finds it so easy to take physical affection um, from Hermione is just Galling is not is just amazing, actually, if when you consider what he went through at home. Yeah, that's something that always stood out to me was how easily they were able to be demonstrative towards each other with affection, especially because and this is something that I, I've always really kept in the back of my mind, is that up until age eleven, Harry had never really known any kind of positive emotion. I mean he'd never really known love or affection in in any real way. So for him to be able to let Hermione take his hand, let alone be able to do the same thing with her is very, very big. And mm -hmm. that's, that's not just a, a subtle little natural response thing. That, that, that's something that takes a lot of cognitive effort to get past. And I, I really, really appreciate the way that was shown throughout the films. But also what I liked is that Dan and, Evan, Dan and Emma made managed to make it seem as though it was natural even when it wasn't it was just sort of yeah um like i think there's a i think it was actually it's not it's not a deleted scene but it's an alternate take on their uh when they're talking on the the covered bridge in uh, gobble of fire and mm -hmm. she reaches over and takes his hand there like you see it, it a little bit in the final version it was just a different camera angle that really showed that action 
it, it was just it was these little subtle moments throughout the films that I that I appreciated because it, it, it tied back to that organic nature that we saw in the books. Actually, the other one that I did appreciate, going back to what we were saying about the book, sorry, Joe. No, it's um, fine. Was actually the fact that he left his date with his, quote, girlfriend to go off with his best friend. And I don't think Joe was surprised, was she? No, I think Joe was a little more surprised that he actually showed up to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it, it's the girl he supposedly fancies and, you know, is supposedly dating and they go to Madame Puddyfoot's and then he leaves to, unknown to Cho, go and, you know, be interviewed by Rita Skeeter and, you know, they're going to be joined by Luna and Hermione. But as far as Cho knows, it's just, he's going off with Hermione. Yeah, there tends to be a lot of that in the books where it's like, oh, Hermione needs Harry for something and there's there's very little doubt or recourse and it's just like, oh, okay, I go. <laughs> mm -hmm. mm. Which is another thing that actually, it's just like, Hermione needs me, right, I'm off. That, that to me is just, and also she, he needs her and she needs him. And that to me actually is part of the balance that we were talking about earlier. It's not just that, you know, with Ron, he sort of needs her to help with his homework or, you know, whatever. It's that they need each other. And, and they balance each other out. And that's something we talked about previously in, in the way that they complement one another. For me, I, I, this is this is kind of the issue I had with Harry and Jenny in that I, it was this Oedipal nightmare where it's like, she looks like Lily. We're going to make that happen because that's not <laughs> creepy at all. Well, I was thinking actually she looked like his sister because if I remember, what, isn't Jenny supposed to have brown eyes, not green? So that would make him her more like his sister because that would be looking like Lily with James's eyes. Yeah, it, I, either way you slice it, it's still kind of It's not good. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, I could get past that if the character and their relationship had some kind of other nuance to it, but it doesn't. It, it really just, it stays at the surface level. And that's kind of <laughs> evident from Ginny's first real attraction to Harry back in book two, because, she, you know, she idolized him and the idea mm -hmm. of the boy who lived. And let's face it, the events of Chamber of Secrets didn't help with that. Um, so she would have said, you know, boy who lived, and then he saved me from what we now know is a Horcrux and, you know, giant basilisks and a phoenix helped him save me. Oh yeah, because that's really going to help with the hero worship. You and, know, and it's... People would definitely are going to try to counterpoint that against, well, how many times has Harry saved Hermione and this and this? And that's true. They do save one another a lot. The difference is how they view she, she Harry. She saves him. That's she, the thing. Oh, it's totally, not just Harry totally. doing all the saving. It's mutual saving. But Hermione sees Harry as Harry, the way he's always wanted to be seen, just Harry. Exactly. And Ginny sees him as the boy who lived and all, all these different monikers. And Harry's like, I just want to be Harry. And for Hermione, yeah, and also, for Hermione to be fair, get that. Yeah, I was going to say, and Ron gets it a little bit, but he, he sees Harry his friend, but also it's Harry his friend who's rich, and he doesn't necessarily realise that he's rich, or he doesn't always register or factor in the fact that in order to be rich or whatever it is, he had to lose his parents. I don't think that always 
registers for Ron because he's got the emotional depth of a teaspoon. Very true. Or, and when it does register for him, it's usually 20 minutes too late and mostly because Hermione smacked him with something. Mm. Okay. But then again, what we're trying, what we, what, what people don't always factor in is when we're looking at these books, they're 11 to 17. So they, they've got hormone, got puberty, they've got a whole load of growing up to do. And certainly for probably both Harry and Ron, they're going to keep on growing up quite a lot between 17 and about 25. So they've still got, even at the end of Deathly Hallows, they've still got an awful lot of growing up to do. I would definitely say that for Ron. I think Harry gets a, a bit of a quantum surge in maturity simply because of what he has to deal with. Not not in a universal aspect. I definitely think he has growing to do in, in other facets, but he's definitely still way ahead of Ron. Well, the thing is, people think that about Sirius as well, because you bear in mind that, of course, he had the First Voldemort War, you know, between when he left Hogwarts and when he went to Azkaban when he was 21. And he did probably did a certain amount of growing up, but then throw, being thrown in Azkaban for 13 years or whatever it was, stunted him and gave him a boatload of issues. And, and that's the difference between, you know, trauma and, and life experience. See, Harry actually had enough life experience to, to balance out the trauma, so to speak whereas Sirius kind of got locked in it. So in a lot of ways, for me, Sirius and Ron are, are very similar characters in that they hit a level and just kind of stick and occasionally can, can rise past it, but they're just kind of stuck at this lower level. Also something we possibly need to factor in with Sirius. I, um, I don't know if this is canon or fanon to be fair, um, but um, a lot of people seem to think that Sirius was probably abused at home. I, it so, wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, doubt it, just given the relative suckiness of most of that side of the family. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think he said that he actually ran away from home to go and live with James's parents when he was 16 or 17, I think, didn't he say? Yeah, he said that uh, in, was it Order? I think so, yeah. So, you know, obviously something's going on there in order for him to run away. Um, he didn't just but, run know, away because he had girly posters on the walls. No, or he may have run away because he wasn't comfortable with some of the shit his family was into, but I don't think that was all of it, shall we say. Oh, no, no. Just given the... the how what venomous. we do know of his family is not good. Yeah, just given how venomous certain elements of the Black family that we know <laughs> um, can be, it wouldn't surprise me if he was abused in some fashion. Exactly, and they're not particularly happy that he was sorted into Gryffindor as well and quite a Slytherin. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's and so, um, yeah, I was going to say if you factor in Mrs. Black and also Bellatrix. You know, that does not potentially make for a happy home life. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Shadow just thinking about it. All right. So let's take a second and talk about um, kind of the, the the Harmony fandom and, and how, to a how to access it, how to engage with it, kind of what media is available since I, 
I know we've we've talked a bit about fan fiction on this episode, but also there's there's great fan art out there. There's a great community now. Uh, I remember back in the early days of the ship, we were pretty much you know non-existent. We all just kind of kept to our individual corners until things like Port Key showed up, and, and there were. Yeah, I was going to say there were bits on places like Friction Alley, which seems to have sort of... It's still there, but it seems to have slightly disappeared. Um, or... Also, certainly when I started being in fandom, social media wasn't there, so you couldn't join Facebook groups or Discord. Facebook didn't exist, Discord didn't exist, Twitter didn't exist. Instagram. Um, yeah, Instagram. Yeah. None of those existed, so it was just basically Tumblr what you could like find on. Yeah, I was going to say it was Live Journal, it was Fanfic.net, it was HPFF when it was good, it was um, Fiction Alley, like I said, it was um, AO3 may have been around, but I don't remember. I think AO3 was like the last one to be introduced. I think like, AO3 started to rise in popularity when like HPFF started to slack off. They kind of dovetailed, if I remember mm. correctly. I mean, HPFF stayed decent, but not great for a long time. Certainly in my opinion, it's really dropped off in the last sort of couple of years. Yeah. Um, but you can still find a fair amount of decent pick on there, to be fair. You just have to dredge through. I think a lot of people that started off on fanfic.net as the my first fanfic site have possibly moved, moved to HPFF. Very true. Very true. So let's yeah. let's talk about the you you mentioned the Discord, and that's kind of actually how that's how we met. That's how this podcast ended up coming into being. Uh, I think we, we didn't we just hit a thousand members. The other day, did, just last month, and I think we're at eleven hundred something right now. So big milestone. Nice. I hadn't heard that, but so that's not too shabby, is it? Not at all. That's a lot of harmony shippers. Yes, and we've got some awesome stuff happening there too. I mean, we what was the most recent uh, AMA we we had, Mika? What was it? That was with Asha of Asha four seven one one zero, I believe, is her DeviantArt or her Tumblr um, pen name, and she's basically a Harmony fan artist that has been active since like the early Porky days, so like perhaps early two thousands, and still active right now. And we had an AMA with her, and she was also doing a drive a, a live drawing session. Um, as we were asking her questions. So that was really cool. We should probably have that video up very, very soon. <laughs> awesome. And you that's... also one with um, LeQuinn, I remember recently, I think. Yes, and LeQuinn was the latest uh, author that we had on the Discord as well to do an AMA. Yes, yeah, so we got a lot of really cool stuff happening in the Discord, guys. We'll go ahead and put the, uh, the link to it uh, in the show notes for this episode. Definitely go ahead and check it out. But... Um, any closing thoughts before we uh, wrap up for the day? I'm just glad we're doing this, and um, it's nice to be able to, I was going to say pontificate, but that's not quite what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's just nice to be able to actually talk about Harry Potter again, because certainly for me, I went through a period where I was still in the fan, I was still like a fan, but it was just sort of me reading fanfic. I wasn't really involved in the fandom, so it's nice to be able to 
share my feelings with other people again actually I would have to agree and you know this this podcast is a great idea like it's great to be able to just talk about the different Harry Potter and Harmony specific topics um see different opinions hear different opinions too so yeah it's very excited for the coming episodes as well yeah. I'm also quite glad that we're agreeing on quite a lot as well although I think that may change <laughs> in the following episodes well uh, th- there's definitely going to be some deviation I-, I I think and I know we've we broached some some hot button uh, topics in this issue. By the way, pretty much everything we talked about has its own little thread in the Discord. So if you want to, the our, our lovely audience members want to jump in there and join the conversation, they can. I have done that myself on a couple of times, and it was interesting. Yeah, just make sure you keep some sort of brain bleach, i.e., probably alcohol on hand. Look, okay, I can only handle so much Snape, all right? But on that note, we're going to go ahead <laughs> and end for today. Uh, tune in next month for our episode that's going to be dedicated to the wonderful world of Harmony fan fiction. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and um, we'll see you next month. Thank you. Bye-bye. Books and Brooms is a HMS Harmony production released in association with Hall of Justice. Music and themes by James O'Dell. Books and Brooms is a fan experience not intended to infringe upon existing trademarks. All works are the property of their original creators. Harry Potter, created by J.K. Rowling. Wizarding World characters and associated media are copyright of Warner Brothers Entertainment. All rights reserved.